Okay, I'm going to interrupt your conversation. I'm sorry. I feel almost rude to do it. So this is our last sermon in this building for the summer. We come back, as we know, in the beginning of September. And as a, uh, consequently, th- this is a, a bit of a one-off talk. This isn't part of a series or anything else. You're gonna be, there's going to be a series through the summer looking at, I believe, the life of Elisha. Um, but I just, I just want to look at a, a passage which has challenged me afresh again recently um, from the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, um, a city that he'd never visited when he wrote this, but he really wanted to get to them. Um, it's Romans, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1, so the first chapter of the book of Romans, I'm going to read the first 16 verses, and then just draw a few um, pointers out of that. So Romans 1, reading from verse 1, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, so it may be slightly different from what you've got in front of you. It says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere, Gentiles are non-Jews, to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you're included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you, so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord when we get together. Sorry, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see a harvest or spiritual fruit in some translations, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too, to preach the good news. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Holy Spirit, I pray your word will affect us, that your word will challenge us and change us, that we would be uh, different as we spend time contemplating what you've said. I pray you'd use me just one little bit today. 
to communicate something of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says right at the end of those 16 verses, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever felt ashamed? I'm not just talking about the gospel being, just generally, have you ever been ashamed? I know I have. I was, as I was thinking about this, uh, an incident came to mind that happened a long time ago, right, when I was a kid, when I was 10 years old, in fact, right? And um, what happened was it was, I was, it was the beginning of my last year at primary school, right? So I was 10 years old, and it was the f- new term, and there was a football match arranged. This is my first ever competitive football match as a 10-year-old representing my primary school against the local Cub Scouts, right? And it was, it was planned for a Saturday morning on the local recreation ground, which is part of the same community, very close to the school, very close to the, where the, the Cub Scouts met. Lots of local parents were there and all the rest of it. And we lined up. I was playing at left back in this very important match, that, that, that had a bit of a grudge match, if you like. This, this was a Man United, Man City. This was an Arsenal-Tottenham equivalent, right? Ten years old. And, um, you know, that slightly dry mouth feeling you have when you're starting in anticipation of a sporting event, maybe you don't know. But anyway, we lost 2-0. Um, I scored an own goal. And I gave away a penalty, which they scored. Right? Now, when, now, 40 odd years later, it's quite humorous, right? Let me tell you, when I was 10, I just felt a weight of shame, not even embarrassment, right? It was shame, it was pain, because this was on Saturday afternoon. I had to go to school on Monday. Oh, man. And when you go to school, there's kids pointing and whispering, and you think even the teachers are talking about you, right? There was shame. And do you know what that shame, the response to that feeling, well, I could have done a couple of things, couldn't I? I could have improved my footballing skills, maybe, and carried on playing. The reality was I never played another competitive football match until I was left school, left secondary school. Because it affected me. And the easiest thing to do was not play again, in case that happened again. Can you see? So rather than feel ashamed, I didn't do it again for a long time. Not competitive football. I used to kick about in the park with my mates all the time. But a competitive match of football, I didn't, didn't do it. So that would have kept me from enjoying another decade of football, competitive football, because of shame, essentially, or the risk of shame. You know, with stronger legs and better skill, I might have been there, but I didn't do it. See, we could make sure that not to let anyone feel negative things about us, couldn't we? No one's going to feel negative about me if I don't do it. And that's what some of us do with the gospel. We think I might get ashamed by what I say and do. Even, even this week, Denise, my wife, spoke to somebody at school and invited them to do an alpha course in the new term, right? And just after that, an ex-colleague came and visited them and um, he was joking and saying, every time, every time I was here, Denise would always ask me to come and do an alpha course. I was never going to do one. And the temptation for her was to feel shame, to feel ashamed of, oh, look, he's really mocking me. Because, and I've only done it just a little while ago, inviting someone else. 
And we could use that, that, to be ashamed like that could stop us. It could shut our mouth, couldn't it? So when Paul says here, he's not ashamed of the gospel, is this the way he keeps from being ashamed? By keeping his mouth shut? Does he avoid being ashamed by always keeping himself in the best light? I want people to see me in a good light. I want people to think good of me, think the best of me. I don't want to make a fool of myself by speaking out or or not being as clear as I'd like. So I'm not going to say nothing. Of course Paul doesn't do that. We know because most of us have read the Bible, haven't we? He does the exact opposite. Believing and preaching the gospel constantly put Paul actually in a bad light. Because he wasn't ashamed of the gospel, he risked shame on a daily basis. In 2 Corinthians, in in the second letter to the the church at Corinth, he, he tells us loads of ways that he was shamed for the gospel, if you like. I mean, this is challenging in itself. He wrote to the church there, he said, um, I've, been put in, I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've travelled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. He faced the risk of shame and he was shamed on, on a regular basis. Paul's way of not being ashamed of the gospel wasn't to keep himself in the best light Oh, he's a really nice guy. I like him. Or to behave in a way that so people really approved of his actions, of what he did. But his way of not being ashamed of the gospel was to proclaim it and to proclaim it and to proclaim it again. In verse 14 of the passage I just read, he says, uh, reading from a, a different translation, he says, I'm under obligation, I'm, uh, or I'm in debt, I'm a debtor, I'm under obligation both to Greek and to barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish, both to the civilized and the uncivilized. He felt an obligation. There was a, he felt in debt, who to? To those who are not yet Christians. He felt in debt to them. When Paul looked at the unbelief in the world, he felt obliged to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It wasn't an option to him. He didn't look down his nose with disdain on those people. Oh, those sinners. Have you seen the way they behave? I'm not like that. I'm a Christian. Right? There's sometimes a temptation in, 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 as Christians to feel that little bit of superiority. Well, I'm not like that. Right? To have that little bit of disdain. You know, I'm a Christian. I must be better than them. Listen, there's an, we should feel that obligation. This is such a challenge. It's challenged me as I was reading it again afresh recently. We are obliged. We're in debt to a fallen, dark world around us. And that means your neighbours and your colleagues and your family members. We are obliged to c- proclaim the good news of Jesus. We have, an, we have an obligation to them and a debt to discharge. It's so challenging, isn't it, when we think of it that way? Paul hated sin but he felt so overwhelmed with the undeserved grace that was his that he knew he was in debt to all people. 
to the Greek and the barbarian, to the wise and to the foolish. It was like he was saying, everyone. How do you feel as a Christian? Now, where you work, with the, or, or, or what about where you live? Are you confident that the good news of Jesus is the answer to the I- issues we find around us in this, this oh, it's a dark world we live in right here. It's a post-Christian world, isn't it? Where even the regular, uh, re- regular things have been turned on their head now. It's a challenge for us. Would you rather present yourself in the best possible light than speak out for Jesus and risk bringing shame on yourself? That's the reality for us, isn't it? Are we living as though we are ashamed by just denying its power, the gospel's power, by our silence? I want to encourage us as City Hope Church, just from this passage, just to not be ashamed of that gospel message, to not be ashamed of the good news. Right at the beginning, we read... In verse 2, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. There's a history and a heritage and a biblical mandate. So much of the Old Testament points towards Jesus, doesn't it? This isn't a good idea dreamt up, right? This this is a God-given truth. This is a plan from before time. A lot of what God promised beforehand in the Old Testament has already happened, hasn't it? Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has rose again. A way has been opened up for sinful people to be totally free from the wrongdoing and be accepted by a holy God. Isn't that fantastic? And that was all prophesied and it was all written down. It's underlined. You think we stand on a good foundation, don't we? And, And if you're not a Christian yet, then this way that has been opened is open for you. A way has been opened up for sinful people to be totally free from wrongdoing and accepted by a holy God. That's wonderful, isn't it? Free from guilt. Free from regret. A home promised in heaven. That's where believers go. That's their home. If you're a follower of Jesus, heaven is your home. For some people, tragically, desperately, they will will be compelled to confess the Lordship of Christ, but it will be too late. Oh no, imagine that. Confessing him once you see it and it's too late. Some people we know do cut it very fine as well, don't we? And I know a number of people, even in this congregation, who's parents virtually or not virtually literally on their deathbeds have surrendered to Christ there's grace for you the challenge there is for us let's not give up on our elderly neighbors let's not give up on our elderly relations on our parents or our grandparents right we can proclaim the gospel to them and a gracious God can break in We can and should be confident and unashamed of the gospel because we know it's the promise of God. It's a biblical promise. It's there. What else? Let's not be ashamed of the gospel because we know we've been called. 
We've been called to belong to Christ. This is so good, isn't it? It's, again, it's not just somebody's good idea. Verse 5 of the passage we read, it says, And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian in here today, you were called. In fact, you were called before he even made the world. The essence of the gospel is that we who were once separated from God by our wrong, by our wrongdoing, have now had that wrong, that sin removed. All our debts of sin have been paid by him. All of them. Right? So I can now stand before God accepted and forgiven and free because Jesus died for me. Beautiful, isn't it? Not just accepted, but called. Called to, his, to be in his family, adopted by him. Don't you like this stuff? It's beautiful, isn't it? We're loved by God. Verse 7, it says, loved by the creator of heaven and earth, chosen by God. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons in accordance with his pleasure and will. We read that in the book of Ephesians. Where were we? Well, we were dead in our transgressions and sins following the ways of this world. Why aren't we still there? Because of his great love for us. Jesus said, I want the world to know that God has loved you in the same way as he has loved me. He said that in John chapter 17. I want the world to know. He's saying there, don't keep it to yourself. I want the world to know what I've done in you. Go and tell them. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. God wants the world to know that he's called you in love. And that does mean opening our mouth sometimes, doesn't it? Of course it's our actions. Of course it's how we live. It's how we relate to one another. It's how we behave. But there's also an element where we need to speak up for him. A third, the third thing from that, that passage we looked at, let's not be ashamed of this, this gospel because, well, it works. <laughs> the gospel works. Can you put your hand up if you are definitely, and you know you are born again. You are a Christian. Look. Look around, it works. The gospel works. Put your hands down. Right. It's at verse 8, it says, Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He's writing to the church at Rome. Because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. They knew the world, the known world knew about what God was doing. The faith of this church in Rome that he'd, he was yet to visit, that he'd written to, had been reported all over the known world. The gospel is not a failure. It worked then in that great city, and it continues to work now in this great city. The gospel will have effect on our community, on this area, and most likely, but not exclusively, through you. That's how we're going to impact this place, isn't it? It's not them, it's me. And all of us together, along with the other believers in this community, we can see this place transformed if we're not ashamed. If we're willing to open our mouth and risk shame. We don't always see it, do we? And that's challenging for us. We don't always see effect. Sometimes we speak to people and they get worse. And they respond, they get horrible. <laughs> you think, oh no, that's part of it. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. Verse 13 in this passage, Paul said to the church at Rome in his letter, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. He was keen to get to the church, to, to, the, to Rome, to visit the church. He, 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 he planned many times to get there, but he hadn't quite made it. He wanted to go in order, it says in the, in the NIV version of this, he wanted to go in order that he might have a harvest among them. And that image of harvest is gathering, is gathering in loads of crops, isn't it? It's not just plucking an ear of wheat every now and again. A harvest is a gathering, right? We need to have a big vision for London, don't we? We need to expect a harvest for our city, for this borough, for our part of the world. You know, like I said, Paul had a big vision. He had a big faith for Rome. I was looking up, just researching a bit about Rome as a city. I mean, ancient Rome was a magnificent city. You know, there's stuff still there today. You can go and visit. You can go and visit the Forum, the palaces that were there. There was the Temple of Jupiter. There was something like a quarter of a million people who could watch chariot races in the Circus Maximus. I mean, again, the foundation of that is still there in Rome. 250,000 people gathering in a huge auditorium. But a bit like London, that city at that time was also a sprawling jumble of buildings spread out far beyond the original city walls. Some parts, like the Forum, would have been magnificent. You know, we have, we have some magnificent buildings here in London. But many of the streets were generally narrow and winding and built up and enclosed uh, so densely that the Emperor Augustus limited the height of those housing blocks to 70 feet. There were six and seven-storey buildings in ancient Rome. People crammed in. And it was, it was just interesting as I was thinking about, you know, Rome was built on seven hills. Um, the, the, the hills aren't like the sort of high and opposing hills you go and see in North Wales or somewhere like that, Right. But and especially when they're covered with buildings and streets, streets and all the rest of it, it would have been, it would have had a confused and a manic appearance. Not again, unlike modern London. You know, we have our hills, don't we? Shooters Hill and Muswell Hill and Highgate Hill and Forest Hill, right? <laughs> so, so there's some parallels here, isn't it? Estimates of the population of the city of Rome do vary quite a bit in, in those times, but. It's reckoned if you said around 1.2 million, you wouldn't be far wrong. This is a significant city for ancient times, right? And probably half the population, according to the, the things I looked at, prob probably half the population would have been slaves. And most of the rest would have been desperately poor. Um, there, there would have been a comparatively small number of the wealthy nobility, the sort of the elite who lived the decadent lives of luxury and excess. Sounds familiar, don't it? You know, ancient Rome wasn't so dissimilar with all its pagan gods and its excesses and all the stuff to, the, to London today. And Paul wrote to them, he says, I'm looking forward to a harvest among you. Let that stir us. That should stir our faith. Let's expect a harvest in London today. What is your vision for, your, for this borough, for this city? What, is, what, what do you expect for this nation? 
Are you confident for a harvest? Pray for it. Be stirred for that. You know, starting new connect communities won't make much difference unless, unless those communities of believers are not ashamed of the gospel. Unless we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus, loving those around us, discharging our debt, our obligation to the people who don't know any better. Let me finish with verse 16 of that passage. We need not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Far from being ashamed, we must proclaim it, mustn't we? As much as we can and as we do, we should expect the power of God to come. Don't be put off by a, 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 a shaming experience. You know that time when you tried to speak it out and the words didn't even come out straight and maybe somebody even laughed at you? A Christian? What, today? You believe that fairy tale nonsense, do you? And we can be ashamed and it can shut our mouth. Like, like me in that football match all them years ago. And it could stop you playing. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Because we have an obligation. You know, there's that, that early church in Jerusalem, s- soon, after that, that, so soon after they were established and there were about 5,000 of them in, in, in Jerusalem, persecution broke out and they were scattered. They, were, they lost everything. They were scattered through persecution. And, and in Romans chapter 8, we read that wherever they went, they preached the gospel. It's such a challenge, isn't it? Because they weren't ashamed. No person or place is too tough. No person or place is too tough. That's a lie if you think they are. Right? Whether they are in prison, whether we're talking about closed nations, Muslim nations, whether we're talking about your difficult neighbour who winds you up so much. <laughs> They're not too tough for Jesus. So let's make an impact on this great city we live in. Why shouldn't we be the ones to see this place turned around in the name and power of Jesus? So let's be a people whose lives and words say loud and clear, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Amen? Amen. I'd love to just pray for us as we finish. Lord, sometimes it is so difficult when we're faced with people who seem to hate you and hate all you stand for, to speak up, even when we're challenged. But Lord, I pray you'd open our mouths. I pray we will truly be a people who are not ashamed of the gospel. And because we're not ashamed, we will risk shame. Because we're not ashamed of the good news, we will risk the shame of those around us. Because we are obliged. We are in debt to a fallen world. And I pray that we would know all the grace and all the power that we need to preach the good news of Jesus, because it, it's good news. Even if people don't know it, they, they need to hear good news. So pour out your spirit on us, Lord, as we leave this place, as we go about our everyday lives, as we go to the shops and to work and to the school gate in the new term and all the rest of it, Lord, that we will be a people who are not ashamed of the gospel. 
Amen. Amen. I'm going to finish there very quickly.